Welcome to Unlocking California Politics. This episode is the second of a two-part series where we meet newly elected assembly members of the California legislature. If you have not already, be sure to listen to part one, Meet the Republicans. In this episode, we are talking to two newly elected Democrats. First up is assembly member Esmeralda Soria, who represents parts of the Central Valley, including portions of Fresno, Madera, and Merced counties. We will then turn to our interview with Assemblymember Blanca Pacheco, who represents portions of Southeast LA County and was formerly mayor and city council member for the city of Downey. Thank you for listening. Thank Welcome, uh, Assemblymember Soria. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be here to talk about some of the important issues, um, not only in the state, but in the Valley. Thank you. And first, congratulations on your election. Um, so now you're entering the heart of the busy season in Sacramento and the state legislature with all the policy committee deadlines and a pending budget. So how has the work here in Sacramento differed from what you did in Fresno? Uh, it's for our uh, first year, I think it's busier uh, because there are so many stakeholders, so many different groups to get to know, um, especially as a new member. And then balancing it with kind of the policy work, um, especially getting into, as you mentioned, the busier season where we have policy committees, budget, and all these different hearings happening uh, during the week. Uh, but I will say that uh, the work is probably a hundred times fold uh, from, mm, you know, what I was used to as a, a local uh, council member. Really? Okay. So so it's much busier than Absolutely. your schedule. And your, okay. Yeah. And then trying to balance it, right? Because going to the district as well. So, uh, even though when you're in the local government, you are essentially working seven days a week because even if you go to the grocery store, people will stop you mm -hmm. and talk to you about an issue that is important to their, them in the neighborhood. Um, similarly, you know, we go back to the district and we're going to all the events that we can because we are um, gone uh, during the mm -hmm. week. And so I have a big district, so it's a lot of work That's as right. well. So has anything... So very high workload. Has anything else surprised you about being in, in Sacramento? You know, as someone that started in this as a staffer myself, uh, you know, for, so for me, it's full circle. What I see now as a member, especially, you know, this year and what I hear has become a much more a common issue is staffing mm. and the challenges with staffing. I remember those days where you couldn't get an opportunity um, but for volunteering or, you know, doing a free internship. Um, and now you can probably see the day book any given day. There's multiple uh, vacancies in uh, in the Capitol. And so that was very surprising to me just because I always found that these positions were highly coveted. Well, to be honest, that makes me feel better. We're having trouble finding a lobbyist. <laughs> we, we, we used to have, we used to get a ton of applications every time. Yeah. It's like, where, where, where is everybody? Yeah. And that, you know, so that is a challenge um, that is impacting, you know, the, the ability to even do more. And I think that for mm, me has been a thing that I've had to take into account as I consider our legislative workload. Yeah, interesting. Um, you're also a member with, of a Democratic supermajority. And what has that meant for you so far? How is it working in in that type of environment? Well, I guess you can say, you know, you have lots of friends, right? But I think once you get into the thick of the policy work and you get into more of the controversial policies, we will see um, where things land. I think that that's when I will really see how a supermajority works or even through the budget. And now the budget mm -hmm. vote even has 
change, right? You only need 40 plus one. Right. Uh, so a supermajority doesn't even, you know, kind of um, come into account uh, on the budget. So I'm curious to see how we navigate, how we navigate, you know, different policy issues, because as you know, we are faced with a budget shortfall mm-hmm. or a deficit. And so it will be interesting to see um, how the diversity of the makeup of our ca- caucus ends up influencing what we end up doing uh in the budget. Mm, Very interesting. Um, As you know, one of the top issues for the state and of course for the California Association of Realtors remains housing. Um, What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you believe the legislature should focus on in the housing area to help get more people into homes and affordable housing? Absolutely. So I've been a huge supporter of building more housing um, on a broad spectrum, affordable housing, and then also market rate housing. I think that the issue of supply is a big issue when it comes to affordability. And so- I feel like clapping, by the way. As a council member, this was one of the issues that I focused on. And what's interesting, I thought that it was going to be one of the big issues that I would get focused on this year. We did introduce a piece of legislation, but as we'll probably talk shortly, um, my priorities- just, you know, for this first year shifted a little bit or it took a different uh, direction given some of the crisis in my district. But nevertheless, housing is a top issue. And as a council member, what I saw a lot uh, happen here in uh, Sacramento was that the policies were geared towards urban cities Mm, and denser mm -hmm. cities. And if you look at the district that I represent, I represent a district that is predominantly rural. Mm -hmm. The biggest city is Fresno, but it's, you know, I represent 60,000 folks in the city of Fresno. Everything else is under 80,000 people Mm -hmm. in a city. So when we're talking about policy um, that has come out of Sacramento, a lot of it, a lot of the resources and the funds are geared towards higher density and um, public transit. Well, guess what? In my district, it almost almost doesn't exist uh, because usually transit centers are in more Dense, denser communities. Well, my district is very rural. So that's one of the issues that I want to focus on for my district, because we need to make sure that we don't use a one size fits all approach, especially for my district. We don't if we use this one size, we're going to continue to miss out. And we've seen the small Mendota Fireball, Livingston, mm-hmm. even Los Baños miss out on That's funding opportunities because we don't meet the criteria that has set by legislators here historically. And so I'm interested in, you know, seeing um, during my time here how we can better improve those policy uh, decisions so that we're meeting the, the goals of each region. And each region is different. And I believe that there's opportunity to um, allow um, us to improve uh, so that my community is able to, you know, get some of these same resources. I saw how long, you know, projects uh, take to build an affordable housing project. For example, in my district that I started from day one took me six years from from day that I started advocating to the final day when we cut the ribbon uh, to allow people to move in. That should, it shouldn't take six years to to build 88 housing units. That's how big my project was. And it cost us $36 million. And it took, you know, like seven sources of funding in order to be able to um, get the complete funding uh, for 88 housing units. 
Yeah. And, you know, but that's right now the issue. It's like, how do we build more housing um, that not only is affordable for the person that is going to live in it, but also that it's not so expensive to build? Right. I think your description of all those challenges <laughs> define every problem <laughs> that we have in terms of building more affordable housing yeah. in California. That's and yeah, and one of the That's other something. things that um, also has become a big challenge, especially in the rural communities, is infrastructure. Uh, because again, either we put we ask the developer to build the infrastructure around the housing or that is you know surrounding where they're going to build, mm-hmm. and sometimes that also increases the cost, or that always increases the right. cost of the home um, or the project. And so, I think that we need to really share on that. Um, investment uh, so that those uh, prices uh, drop as well. And so I know that that's always a challenge for uh, a city like even Fresno. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's, you know, downtown um, development hasn't been as quick uh, because there's aging infrastructure, a hundred year old pipes. And so who should, the question is who should replace it? Right. Probably you know, the local city, but they don't have enough money in their budget. And so I think that the state of California also has to look at what other opportunities are there to invest in, you know, new infrastructure that will allow either the increased density or even, um, you know, smart growth in our smaller rural communities. Right. Without passing on that cost necessarily to the actual housing. Um, You mentioned that your... um, your legislative priorities sort of ended up getting sidetracked to some extent or focused on different areas. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I got sworn in December 5th and within two weeks. um, So on December 22nd, I got the news that Madeira Hospital was going to close. And so the hospital closed probably a week after. Mm. And so now I have an entire county without any access to emergency and critical care in their own county. Uh, So over 160,000 people uh, don't have that access. And, you know, when California has been championing the health care issue and talking about expanding access and coverage, well, you know, I question um, how fragile our system is because Mm -hmm. now we have a critical hospital that is no longer open. And so given that um, we had this crisis in, in our community, I, uh, my number one priority is, has been AB 412, which I introduced quickly after the news uh, to ensure that we provide an avenue, a short-term avenue to reopen the hospital by providing um, some emergency funding uh, to reopen, not just for my hospital, but for any other hospital or um, for those hospitals that are struggling and maybe are, you know, the next Madera hospital, mm, that they mm-hmm. do not become the next Madera hospital by providing them some emergency funding. And we will actually be hearing that uh, shortly and excited about the opportunity to move forward um, this legislative session so that it provides, uh, you know, some hope. Uh, to the residents of Madeira who now are having to travel 40 to 45 minutes to, you know, get critical care. And, you know, a a minute um, can mean life or death. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense that that would be be your uh, priority there. So that's been a top priority along with uh, 
you saw the atmospheric river uh, dating back to January. And so we had some significant flooding in uh, Merced County, mm-hmm. in, especially in the community of Planada, which is a small farm worker community where uh, we had thousands of um, families displaced and having to be evacuated because of the flooding. They've Most of them have moved back, but the issue of housing continues. And um, also many fear that with the snow melt maybe melting too quick because of the warm weather mm-hmm. that we will get in the coming weeks and months, that we will have another flood. Um, and not just in Merced County, but up and down the valley, as you've seen uh, has been happening over the last uh, couple months. And so we're working also on some legislation, which is simple. You would think that sometimes uh, government, uh, we could work a little bit more efficient, um, but it would help uh, address uh, some of the issues of taking, of being able to take these floodwaters to mitigate um, any flooding and replenish the aquifer, right. uh, which we know has been a big issue and a priority for the state of California. But the permitting process and the way to do it uh, sometimes takes way too long. And so we're trying to rectify this issue. And that's an interesting topic. We've actually been hearing a lot from our members. Um, you know, our realtors, of course, work closely with the communities in which they operate. We've been hearing a lot of concerns about snow melting potential issues for homeowners insurance because you don't have flood insurance, but you're going to have effectively a flood and how that all interacts. We've been hearing a lot of concern about potential homeowners uh, issues that might emerge from that. Yeah, I think we will see more more of that uh, because a lot of folks didn't anticipate the floods. And as you mentioned, they were not insured. And so we're going to have to figure out how to support um, these families. So as you know, one of the, um, perhaps you're familiar with the California Dream for All, which is a program which, of course, our association supports mm-hmm. and advocated for mm-hmm. as well, the Pro Tems, uh, California Dream for yeah. All. Um, the funds were, <laughs> the allocated Exhausted funds. Exhausted immediately, in like right? Days or, <laughs> um, you, you know, which were, um, I think, indicative of the cost of owning a home in California. And actually, it, it I think, was actually more popular in the Central Valley and Sacramento area. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I think you've touched on a lot of things regarding permitting and other um, aspects. Uh, do you think that's where the main focus is or what other things do you think can make, help make a home more affordable? I think all of the above. We have to do all of the above, above in terms of infrastructure, in terms of providing opportunities like this program that uh, Senator Pro Tem Atkins uh, mm-hmm. you know, was successful with this last legislative cycle um, and looking at other opportunities for the various regions. Again, a, a one size fits all. Uh, doesn't always work. I will also kind of speak as someone that, uh, you know, went to college and graduated with a lot of debt. Now, I, you know, middle class, there's a lot of middle class folks that um, are to some degree li- living paycheck to paycheck because mm-hmm. of the cost of education. And so I know I have a lot of friends that maybe meet the income requirement, but haven't been able to save up because of inflation. And so these down payment assistant programs are very critical, not just for, you know, the low income working class families, but even those middle class families that, you know, are highly educated, but are unable to save up enough for a down payment assistant or down payment because, um, you know, they're saddled with college debt. So we have to really take into account with this newer generation because that's the reality. 
of a lot of the younger generations is, you know, many of them are having to stay to live with their parents a lot longer because it's taking them a lot longer to get um, off their feet financially. Well, and that's one reason actually our association has been a strong proponent of this program was we were seeing exactly what you're yep. describing. And also we're seeing a lot of families where you don't have intergenerational wealth where the parents can give a down payment, but they actually get a good job where their salaries are good, mm -hmm. et cetera, but they can't get the down payment. That's why we've been a strong proponent of that because so many people, our client, our members would see, you know, they're earning, but coming up with even, you know, depending on where you are, even 40 to 100,000 or more in some areas is just a challenge. Yeah. So. so I believe we need to invest more. Obviously, this was right. a great indicator, right? That the need, <laughs> right. The, the need is there and the demand is there, that people right. want to buy a home. I'm a big believer in that. You know, I grew up um, in a household where we were a farm worker, immigrant household, mm -hmm. but my parents figured out how to buy their home. So for me, right. I grew up in a family where home ownership was it. And I knew that at some point I would be my own, you know, a, a homeowner because I saw that my parents did it. And so, but it is becoming more challenging. I will say in the Valley, it's still a little bit more mm -hmm. affordable than in other places, um, you know, in the state of California. And so we have an incredible opportunity to continue to allow working families to build wealth. And so I will continue to support these types of programs because I believe in them. And, and, and I, Totally concur with what you said about the valley. I'll count Sacramento as the valley yeah. because I moved up from L.A. a couple of years ago and I don't think I can ever move back now. <laughs> so, uh, But I was able to afford Even if you wanted to, oh, you yeah. probably couldn't afford, right? Oh, in, in the time frame. Oh, well, that's done. Yeah. You know, so, and, and I'm happy here. So it's, yeah. it's good. Um, I think we already touched on the, the local control versus state. I think so maybe expanding on that. Sounds like a lot of it is you think there needs to be a greater accounting for lo local variations. Is yeah, no, I, I, I do believe believe that, you know, even on the homelessness issue, mm. I know that that's a big issue impacting uh, local cities um, and counties across the state. I just had uh, many of my local cities come and do lobby day uh, last mm -hmm. week, and they were talking about them wanting to have more funding. You know, the governor, I believe, did an excellent job in uh, putting forth uh, housing or homeless dollars um, that went out to communities. But right. again, my a lot of my communities got left out because they're rural, because maybe they don't have the number of the, you know, the big numbers of homeless folks. But they actually still are seeing homeless um, or unhoused individuals in their communities. And so we're trying to figure out what is a way, a better way to get resources to these small rural communities, because maybe a hotel conversion doesn't make sense in their mm -hmm. community, right? We have to be able to think outside the box, especially for smaller communities that still are faced with these homelessness issues, but don't have the same issues as Fresno or Sacramento or LA or San Francisco. Yeah, that's fair. And I think I think what you just touched on is getting that across that it's a problem that's not just an urban problem. Yeah, I, I'm going to sound incredibly naive here. But when I first came from L.A. to Sacramento, I thought, oh, I'm going to a smaller city. There probably won't be a homeless problem here. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold. So, yeah. I mean, I think that is something that's just statewide. Um, what What do you think could help that uh, yeah. more with the city? Just sort of recognizing and, and 
Well, getting the funds uh, directly to some of these smaller cities, I think that they also are able to build the type of housing that uh, can be supportive housing for those that are unhoused in their communities. But a lot of the funds either go to the big cities or the counties, and they're not distributed directly to the small cities that are also experiencing homelessness. So I think that we have to think a little bit broader um, about how we are giving out those uh, dollars um, especially like those home key dollars that went mm-hmm. out and beyond the home key, you know, I was very critical about, okay, what happens after we build these uh, transitional housings? Mm-hmm. What happens after the transition? What happens after the 90 and 120 days where these people, cause it's supposed to be transition housing, right. where do they go? That's the issue. There's this middle that is missing of housing that is, you know, the permanent housing that is affordable for these unhoused individuals. And so we have a lot of work to to do on that. We need to make sure that, you know, in any future budget, we have funding that is going to support that permanent housing, um, whether it's affordable. And it's, it has to be everything. It has to be everything, you know, from affordable to market rate housing so that we increase the supply because it's a supply issue as well. So I'm just going to say, we really look forward to working with you on, on everything, <laughs> everything you've said. Um, so as we you know, come to the end of this, is there anything else you wanted to add or to talk to our members or our audience regarding housing or any related issues? Yeah, well, I'm just excited to be here in Sacramento because I, I believe that there is an incredible opportunity to bring, you know, you know, my region's perspective uh, to the housing conversation. I know that some good work has been done, but we definitely need, uh, you know, policies that are not just one size fits all Mm -hmm. for every community. And I look forward to working with uh, not just the statewide association of realtors, but I'm very connected to all the local uh, realtors um, associations in my district. I have three of them. And so it's awesome to be able to have those personal connections uh, because they either have helped me buy my home <laughs> or, you know, I, you know, they have helped so many people in the community. And so uh, I'm grateful for those relationships and, you know, want folks to contact me um, if we can be of help um, in the district or here if there's an issue in Sacramento. All right. Thank you very much. And we've, it's been a re- genuine pleasure talking to you today. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you, me. Sanjay, for having me. Thank you. We look forward to our conversation today. Welcome, Assemblymember Pacheco. Thank you. I'm looking First, forward to oh. conversations as well. Such a <laughs> thank, here. thank you. Uh, first, congratulations again on your election to the State Assembly. Thank you. Now that you're here, can you share what has been your biggest transition to serving in the State Assembly? I believe you were previously, among many different posts, the mayor of Downey, correct? That is correct. I, and I have been on, I was on city council for six years. And I was heavily involved in the, the city uh, with various organizations like the Kiwanis Club of Downey, Gangset of Downey. I uh, was also a part of Teen Court and I uh, was uh, almost at every event. So I would say that one of the challenges has been going to Sacramento uh, every week and not being home, not being able to go to the, all the events that I used to attend. and. Also being away from my dog uh, named Mr. Belvedere, who <laughs> is currently at my parents' house because they adore him. He's a miniature schnauzer. So it's just been a little difficult being a- away from home 
for so many days. Uh, but at the same time, I enjoy it. I enjoy being in Sacramento. I enjoy doing the work that we do. I have a passion for service. And so it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, but the only challenge has been the traveling back and forth. Yeah, I can understand that many, many, many years, 24 plus I actually used to do some law practice in Downey and you have that gorgeous courthouse there. Um, so um, has there anything surprised you about being in Sacramento that you were not expecting? I wasn't expecting how busy it would be, uh, how our schedules can be uh, so filled up with different appointments at the beginning in January, January where we had so many meet and greets. Uh, I didn't realize that you could actually have meaningful conversations that only lasted 15 minutes mm -hmm. uh, and how many uh, meetings we could have in a day. And now we're just busy with committees. I sit on five uh, different committees right. and presenting bills. And so I think that was the one thing I never realized how busy we would be up in Sacramento. Interesting. So you are a member of a supermajority, which obviously most elected officials would love to be a part of. Mm -hmm. That being said, what if what are some of the challenges of NOA being such a member of such a large class, if you will, of members? So I really wouldn't see it too much uh, as a, a challenges. We we all represent different areas of California, uh, different districts, and for me, I tell everyone uh, my votes will will be based on my district, what's important for my district. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in my district, um, it's a district that supports small businesses. It's, mm -hmm. it's a district that, um, you know, there's a lot of realtors, there's a lot of realtors in right. Uh And I am also a real estate broker, along with being an attorney. Mm -hmm. And also it's a, it's a district that um, supports our law enforcement and believes in public safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I will make my votes based on my district. Uh, and there's uh, different types of Democrats. So there's um, there's Democrats that are more left leaning, more more moderates. Um, but just like that, there's also Republicans that are more raw, uh, moderate and uh, right leaning. Mm -hmm. uh, so so far, it, it hasn't uh, been a challenge. I've appreciated the dialogue I've had with mem various members um, in, in the assembly. Uh, so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a challenge. So there are a lot of pressing issues facing California today, including homelessness, housing, inflation, energy prices. Those are some of the few. I'm sure those many of those, of course, affect your district as well. Can you share what are your biggest priorities for this year? Uh, so a lot of uh, my bills will be focused on youth, um, youth engagement and protecting our youth. Uh, but also, uh, I have a hydrogen bill uh, looking at it as a potential um, alternative uh, fuel. Uh, so I have, I have my my priorities have been uh, focused on on that, um, on our climate, on um, creating more green space for our for our cities, parks for our kids, and so that people can go out there and have different activities and be outside. Uh, trees are very important to my district, uh, but also public safety, protecting our small businesses is also going to be a priority. Um, California, we're the fourth largest economy in the world. And so mm -hmm. we have to protect our, our, 
especially our small businesses, but we have to make sure that we keep our businesses here in the state of California. As you know, one of the top issues remains housing. I know, I know your area to some extent. I know there's been actually rapid appreciation in homes in that region and some of the many of the pressures that California faces, you face <laughs> on, on, a, on a very significant scale as well. Uh, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you believe the legislature should face on or solutions or that to create more affordability and more home ownership? So I think we uh, we need to find um, how we can um, develop programs to um, allow people to get into home ownership. Uh, so many people are focused on, um, you know, protecting renters, but we need to find a pathway to the home ownership. Uh, we need to create uh, more affordable housing uh, so that way people can, you know, get into a home um, and then be creative on um, maybe even financing so that way uh, people can can buy their first home. Uh, so there's uh, discussions that need to be held as to how do we make homes more affordable. Um, I'm, I'm, I know when we uh, had redevelopment, a lot of cities mm -hmm. uh, were using that to create affordable housing. Uh, so we need to look at that as well to try to bring it back so that way cities have tools on creating affordable housing which is what we did in Downey uh, before we lost redevelopment. Uh, the city um, created, created an affordable housing um, units, uh, which is located in downtown Downey area. Mm, interesting. Um, one of the ongoing struggles on housing, which I'm sure you are very aware of as an elected uh, local official, is the issue of local control versus <clears throat> implementation of state housing policies, cities meeting their arena numbers, lawsuits over noncompliance on the housing elements, um, with your uh, background in local government, how do you see that relationship? What do you think about the state getting more involved? And how do you think some of the maybe the friction points can be uh, reduced? So I and and I was uh, formerly the uh, the president of League of California Cities Alley Division. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, so I was you know, a big proponent on local control. Uh, and what the the real issue is. A lot of times there's a lot of these mandates being imposed, imposed on cities when we should be having conversations with cities uh, as to what makes sense uh, in the cities, but having them at least at the have a seat at the table as to um, discussions. And a lot of the cities that I represent that are in my assembly district, um, they're doing everything they can to create more housing. Uh, I'll state, for instance, Downey. Uh, we were the 11th largest city uh, in Alley County, and now we're currently the 10th largest city wow. in Alley County. Okay. And so, our and I know our neighboring cities uh, that are in my district, they're doing everything they can, but we're built out. We don't mm -hmm. have more room uh, to, to build more housing. Um, so imposing a one-size-fits-all mandate is a little difficult. And so just making sure cities are at the table, having discussions to see what makes sense in the cities is, is very important. And something I do take to heart. Uh, I understand there's uh, concerns that cities aren't doing everything they can, uh, but not all the cities in the state of California are taking that approach. They are doing everything they can do to, to meet their arena needs and to build more housing. Right. As somebody from the LA area, that's something I often would <clears throat> tell people up here is like, 
you know, there's a lot of places in LA that build. It's it's not it's not like it is like it seems like there's more resistance in other parts of the state. And I'm like, and maybe there are you know individual areas in LA County, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of building going on too. Um, definitely a lot of building. So as you, and I'm and I know it's a it's a problem even in in your area that there is a homelessness crisis in some cities. Um, recently, I think, believe the city of Los Angeles declared a formal state of emergency regarding homelessness. Um, what do you think are some of the things that could be done to help address this, what's quite clearly a crisis? Uh, so it, it's a it's a big crisis. It's a problem that we've been dealing with uh, in my district. And what we need to do is try to um, provide wraparound services A lot of times um, individuals who are homeless are dealing with mental health issues or drug addiction issues. And we have to find a way on how we can provide them the services that they need uh, because we need to also protect our our, businesses and um, uh, the residents that live in our cities uh, who go outside and sometimes they don't feel safe uh, Mm -hmm. because sometimes uh, uh, because homeless individuals um, in the area have mental health issues, they can get um, very aggressive. And so we need to make sure that our, our our cities are safe, but we also need to make sure that there's services out there to help homeless individuals. It's not a matter of putting them in housing, it's also a matter of providing the services that they require. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it, it, it is a complex situation. I think you hit the nose on a lot of the issues that surround that and you're right it's become an issue as i said in every area every community um one thing one thing you mentioned of course was uh which obviously from the realtor's perspective we appreciate is on the value of home ownership and i was just wondering if you could maybe speak to that in terms of what you think especially for people maybe buying their first homes or or new to home ownership like what is what are some of the benefits to a community and to the individuals to having a home uh, so, and, and I speak uh, from experience. Um, my parents were were renters when I was young. They bought their first home when I was 21. Mm-hmm. And one of the benefits of being a homeowner is uh, being stable, being stable in the home that you live in, uh, not moving around a lot. I moved, we moved around a lot when I was younger. Uh, so I, since I was born, I've lived in East LA, Boyle Heights, Huntington Park, cut a hay. Uh, by the time we moved to Southgate, I was 10. So imagine the first 10 years of my life was spent moving, constantly moving, moving, moving. Right. And we probably stayed in Southgate the longest. Uh, and then 11 years later, when I was 21, my parents bought their home in Downey. And it was more stable. Uh, I felt like we were more uh, rooted to the community. Uh, there was more a sense of pride uh, in our home. It was our home. We took care of our home. Uh, so there's just so much more pride and more stability. And you have more uh, pride of where you live, the city you live in. And so I'm glad my parents were able to eventually afford their home. And then now I own my home and I chose to live in Downey, given that my parents live here as well. So they live on the north side. So they live near the five freeway. And I live mm-hmm. on the south side, so I live near the 105 freeway. So okay. we're close, but um, <laughs> we're not that close, which is perfect. I can get to their house within five to 10 minutes. 
No, that's great because yeah, and I think that's something we often talk about. People often perceive it as um, you know, as a, as an opportunity, but it's it's really housing security as well as economic security. And you know, we always from our side, we always talk about it's true housing security because it is your own uh, place. Is that something? Um, you mentioned uh, you are a real estate broker. Is that something that attracted you to um, real estate? Was that potential for people to to have that stability? So interesting enough, uh, I became an attorney first. Um, and I say interesting enough is that my parents are also real estate brokers. So they're oh. the ones that encouraged me to get my <laughs> broker's license. They say, well, you're an, you're an attorney now, so you can actually go straight to getting your broker's license. Uh, so I became a broker without really having a true sense of understanding and how to be a realtor. But I learned from my parents. I had the luxury of learning from them. Uh, but that's the reason why I obtained my broker's license. Oh, terrific. We have very similar stories when it comes to that. I'm an attorney and I got my broker's license for the same same reason. I was like, oh, I could just take the test. Um, we don't have to do a sales. So we just go straight to broker. Um, thank you. We've, I, I really I, I really enjoyed talking with you, Assembly Member. And is there anything else you might want to add or, or share about your experience or your priorities uh, with our audience? I just want to say that uh, I am truly blessed. Uh, I am blessed because I had this opportunity to serve. I had the opportunity to serve uh, on city council. And I never imagined in my wildest dreams after uh, passing the state bar exam that I would be doing what I'm doing. And so it's it's so exciting. It's such a pleasure to be up in Sacramento and uh, being inside the Capitol, being on the assembly floor. Uh, I sit there sometimes and I look around. I just think, wow, I'm actually here. Uh, so I just want to say how, how much of an honor and a pleasure to have the residents from the 64th district have um, the confidence in me to be able to to represent them. And I will always do my very best. Um, and I will always remember, you know, our attorneys, our realtors, everything they deal with. Um, and I I'm a strong advocate on on finding a pathway to homeownership. I'm a strong advocate on on our youth, making sure that they have mentors, making sure that they feel safe when they go to schools, given so much gun violence, uh, uh, so many overdoses with fentanyl, um, just protecting our youth. It's it's important. It's essential. Those are our future leaders. And we have to be strong advocates for them, be great mentors, mentors for them. And so that's something that I will continue doing. And I I love conversations like this so i just want to say thank you very much for inviting me thank you very much assembly member it's been a genuine pleasure thank you thank you disclaimer the purpose of this podcast brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice 
or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.